You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. And now, here are today's hosts. Good morning, and welcome back to the All About Real Estate Edition. I'm your host, Carol Morgan, joined by my co-host and friend, Todd Schnick. First, we'd like to kick things off by thanking New American Funding for being our 2021 show sponsor, our 11th year on air. It has been a fantastic year with them as a partner. And you know, Todd, I just cannot believe how quickly this year has flown by and that we are coming down hot and heavy on Thanksgiving being next week. So, I mean, I'm still recovering from 2020, for goodness <laughs> sake. I, mean, I, I can't believe that 21 is almost over. Wow. It's just crazy. I know I keep looking at things and I start talking about next year. I'll have to think, okay, now what's that date? How is that 2022? It's just crazy. Well, I am very much looking forward to our conversation today. We are fortunate to be joined in studio by Byron Carlock. He is the U.S. real estate practice leader with PwC. So welcome to the show, Byron. Take a second and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Carol. I joined PwC 10 years ago from industry, having uh, started my career with the Trammell Crow Company out of business school and then run a series of REITs and funds, and even had a stint in Atlanta as Chief Investment Officer of Post Properties, a big fan of your market. Grew up in Arkansas and Mississippi, and went to college at Harding University, and then graduate school at Yale and then Harvard. Outstanding. Well, welcome to the show, Byron. Our audience is obviously familiar with PwC. It's one of those global brands that everyone knows about. Uh, But for those listening who would love a little clarity, uh, give us an overview of kind of what you guys are all about. What's the mission and purpose? Well, in the real estate practice, we serve many of the REITs and funds that invest in real estate. And this publication in its 43rd year tries to capture the sentiment of industry leaders across some 2,000 C-suite leaders each fall looking forward to the coming year. And so we are recently published from the fall meeting of the Urban Land Institute in Chicago and are distributing that content now as people begin doing their business planning for 2022. And it looks to be a pretty optimistic outlook for 2022 in an an environment with plenty of debt, plenty of equity, and plenty of demand for most of the product types. Yeah. And the demand is what's super exciting to me. Well, we're going to dive into that 2022 Emerging Trends Report from ULI. But talk a little bit first about your involvement with the Urban Land Institute. Well, I joined actually as a leasing agent with Trammell Crow in the late 80s and enjoyed the industry activities in ULI so much because it's probably the world's largest think tank dedicated to the use of land around the world. And it is a a great organization for collaborating with developers and friends in the industry, contractors, architects, title companies, lenders, investors, all gather at least twice a year and then also sit on regional committees and product committees to share ideas about making our cities, our neighborhoods, and our lives better through real estate. It's a terrific organization. I've stayed in the organization through the years and am now a governor uh, in, at ULI and enjoy a longstanding history with the organization. All right. So this 2022 Emerging Trends in Real Estate Report, which again is produced jointly by the ULI and PwC, it's demonstrating that flexibility and convenience are certainly shaping this coming decade. Elaborate on that, please. Well, I think flexibility is the watchword. I think what we learned during the pandemic was we could continue our businesses 
working remotely using technology, zooming across the screen. How many of us even knew what Zoom was two and a half years ago? And we realized that productivity was constant to going up. Section was reasonably high, although there did end up coming some real Zoom fatigue toward the end. But the reality is everyone appreciated the flexibility of being able to get their work done when they needed to be on screen and have the flexibility to cook, run errands, care for their kids or their parents, and manage their lives in a way that worked for them. And so coming out of the pandemic, I think the word flexibility means people are looking for that to continue in one way or the other. Working remotely is here to stay, but the office is also here to stay. It's not an either or, it's a both and, but the rubber band between the two is that flexibility. Yeah, flexibility definitely seems to be key. I know my staff, we have kind of ebbed and flowed. We're um, working remotely at the moment, but about to be back in the office again. It's just kind of varied on who has been exposed to what, you know, over the last almost two years now. And COVID was certainly a force magnifier for many, many trends, including Zoom that you mentioned earlier. You know, we used GoToMeeting for years and years and years and then realized that COVID had really forced everyone to learn how to use Zoom. So we were switched to Zoom just because it was easier for our clients. They already knew how to use it. They weren't having to learn something new. Talk about some of the other trends that have been magnified by COVID. I guess, you know, retail comes to mind for me and then maybe the millennials starting to purchase homes. But what else are you seeing out there or speak to those two trends? The trend of work from home and that flexibility began probably seven or eight years ago. We started as a firm doing it seven years ago. But the pandemic proved to us that it's a doable business model to allow people to have that flexibility to come in when it's productive for them to be in and stay home when they need to do heads down work or can work remotely. So the use of the office is going to be different. And that's, it's going to be a special visit to the office for collaboration, whiteboarding, strategic planning, product introduction, training and mentoring and cultural inculcation. And so that's why I say it's a both and not an either or. Now retail is a different story. The transformation of retail was really accelerated during the pandemic. It, it, as you know, e-commerce had been growing 25% a year, compounded for several years before the pandemic. But the pandemic really accelerated our dependence on e-commerce. And it is now just ingrained into our lives such that there's a real question as to when and where we need brick and mortar experiences. They are not dead. Hear me, Carol. Retail is not dead. It's it's transforming, but we've probably got too much retail square footage trapped in real estate that is being swapped now for the huge demand for industrial and logistics and last mile delivery. So retail and our desire to consume is still the backbone of our economy. And that's why we're seeing so many people resume their spending now after surging their savings during the pandemic from around 8.4% to 13.3%. And there is a big demand for many products. And we're seeing that crimp continuing in the supply chain for getting them. So retail is going to continue its transformation to figure out how to deliver goods and services in a way that we want to receive them while still giving us a pleasant and enjoyable and return-oriented experience to the retailer offering the goods. Yeah. Watching the economy has been quite intriguing. I mean, there's definitely some challenges and some warning signs, but (laughs) part of the reason that there's a bunch of ships blocking up the, the South Pacific, uh, trying to get into ports is because Americans keep buying stuff, you know? So it has been fascinating to watch and seeing how it's all unfolds. Think about sitting in your 
living room or your home office all these months and looking at that sofa and deciding you don't like it. And then you go try to get one and find out the delivery's 10 to 15 weeks out. Yeah, I have some neighbors who just bought some new furniture that they were told uh, expect it Q4 2022. So, I mean, it is it is amazing uh, (laughs) what's happening. And, you know, we all became familiar with Amazon being able to give us something overnight, sometimes same day. Well, that's not happening as much because it's just harder and harder to get product to to and fro. So some other trends we want to dive into DEI. A hot trend, uh, not really a surprise to us. Uh, The report had some pretty intriguing findings related to that. Talk about that, please. Well, I think it's timely. Like with other ESG-related matters, DE&I is a concept for which the real estate industry had been a bit late to the party. Still, even this day, mostly male-dominated, but really beginning to change. This year's ULI Fall Conference was heavily concentrated on the topic of what we're doing in diversity inclusion, recruitment, and most importantly, retention, so that there is ongoing career progress for participants in the industry of color and gender diversity. And it's really exciting to see it happen. We've made great progress in the public real estate companies and in the fund complexes with boards. We still have a lot of work to do in the construction industry, in the retaining talent, in the leasing and management industries, and then bringing up a generation of developers that's more diverse. I'm pleased to say it's, I think if awareness is the first step, we are well aware in the industry that it's needed. And the survey proved that it's a high priority in the talent management strategies of the survey respondents. It's just something we're seeing you know, across the board. It's our industry becoming more of a reflection of the world. And I think the most interesting um, thing I've heard lately from a client, it's a developer who has made a very strategic move to focus on you know, diversity when hiring. And his last couple of hires in land acquisition have been, you know, people who don't look like himself and, you know, a couple of black gentlemen who live on a different area of town where he lives. And he tells me it's just been game changing for his company because they look at land and they look at land differently and they look at areas of town that he'd never even think to look at. And then they show him the statistics and show him why it works. And these projects have been incredibly successful. So I think sometimes companies miss the benefit to them of being more diverse. And I think the more they hear these analogies and hear how it's helping other companies like theirs, then they're going to jump on board and realize that this is good for all of us. 100%, Carolyn. It's going to lead us to development, redevelopment of neighborhoods that have also been victims of food desert, retail desert, and healthcare deserts. I think that's one of the most exciting things. So much of our city planning was done with racial division in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And now we're going to bury those interstates and make the neighborhoods continuous and develop across those and try to create uh, unity where there was division and Real estate can be a tool for that. And I think it's it's very exciting for society. This next cycle, remember, we went into the pandemic, the real estate industry was healthy. I think this is the first recession in our nation's history that real estate wasn't a cause or a contributor of the recession. Yep. And so we're coming out with high demand, supply demand imbalance, but also with a vision for development and redevelopment and reimagining our cities. So when you take that DEI concept plus the high demand for new housing and new types of buildings and repurposing real estate and the infrastructure bill that's coming 
and the vision that we're trying to deploy to reimagine how we want to live in more dense urban environments as well as suburban ex-urban environments, it's very exciting. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on so many topics there. We could talk for hours about some of these. I think clearly zoning is a hot topic. And anyone who's read The Color of Law or really studied zoning knows that it's socioeconomic, you know, bigotry. And it's, you know, our our grandfathers who put those laws in place to keep those people on that side of the tracks or that side of the town. And it's just wrong. So I love seeing those barriers be removed. And I love watching these zoning and planning boards realize that it really isn't it isn't right the way some of the zoning is looked at and you know the way, way things happen but just be lots of really cool things i think coming our way including we're seeing some office buildings in atlanta be repurposed into condos and apartments so that's kind of a fun, cool trend too well, well in addition to the word flexibility the word that we're watching now is relevance and some ah, product, it's a good word some product has lost its relevance and it has to be repurposed about 80 percent of our office stock was developed in the 80s or before. And many of those buildings become great conversions to residential. And many of them have lost their attractiveness to the new user of class A plus office that's Mm -hmm. looking for the highest tech experience with very modern Merc 4 air quality and new standards of construction technology, new standards of uh, sensor deployment for load bearing considerations, different uses of the space for collaboration and teaming as opposed to mahogany walled offices with interior glass and plants in the corner. There's just a big change in the way we want to use space. And that does require new development. And that's why you're seeing new office development. Even when people say, wow, we've got a lot of sublease space out there as people begin trying to shrink their space to save money and allow more remote working, that is happening. But equally, there are companies that are expanding because they realize they overdensified. Yeah. The absolutely. market will adapt. It always does. <laughs> hmm Ready to take the next step in becoming a homeowner? New American Funding can make it happen. New American Funding is a nationally recognized direct lender for residential home loans. Real estate agents and builders love New American Funding because of their in-house processing. 14 business day close guarantee, and the servicing of their loans. They will work tirelessly to help you achieve home ownership, backed by thousands of five-star reviews from their customers and with convenient branch locations. More and more residents trust them to close their loans on time. Call New American Funding at 678-898-3540 to start your home buying journey today. So talk now about environmental and social governance factors, uh, even climate risk, uh, all, I think, figure prominently in these surveys. Uh, Thinking about that collection of issues, uh, what stands out to you? Well, just like DE&I, with environmental considerations, the real estate industry had been a little late to the party, even though concrete is probably one of the biggest contributors to our uh, carbon dilemma. So now you see major real estate companies saying they're moving toward zero cost buildings and carbon neutrality by fixed end dates, using their opportunities to rethink the way they develop the materials that are being used and the environmental experience in the office. 
Lead certification has become table stakes for new tenant considerations. They don't even want to look at buildings that don't have a, a high leads rating or a high well-building institute rating. And so that's on the user side. And then investors are becoming more discriminate about the buildings into which their equity dollars are, dollars are going so that they make sure that they're investing in a building that has long-lasting environmental considerations dialed into its carbon footprint. So if a European investor is one of your partners in a building, they actually have to disclose the environmental, or environmental quality of their portfolio to their constituents. And so reporting standards for environmental issues are becoming top of mind, and it's a growing part of our business, as we offer environmental audits equal to our financial audits and attach them in the financial statements. It's not required by the SEC or the FASB or the PCAOB. It's voluntary compliance right now, but it is required in Europe. And you're seeing other jurisdictions around the world take an increased notice to the triple bottom line. And part of that includes environmental impact of the investments that are being made. So REITs are something we hear more and more about and how they're investing in alternative sectors like student housing and data centers. Where do you see that trend going and what's going on out there? Well, back to your comment earlier about demand, just as there's demand for space, there's tremendous demand for investment product. And so REITs offer a great opportunity for a dividend yielding investment in a hard asset that's got long-standing relevance in its community. And creating that income stream is very attractive for investors. And so the REIT compatibility for not just the traditional food groups of office, industrial, retail, and multifamily transcends over to uh, data centers, life sciences centers, which are very hot for the lab and pharma business and the research space right now, student housing, self-storage, cold storage for the growing food industry, all of these boxes can be packaged into investment products that yield a dividend through the rental income, and they are aggregatable, and they are listable, and they become REITs on the exchanges, and they are security. They have liquidity, but are a reasonably secure investment backed by good assets. So I see the REIT industry as really a backbone of the investment consideration for someone that wants a piece of real estate in their portfolio, but doesn't own a building or a portfolio of buildings themselves, and they also get to enjoy that rental income, which passes through without double taxation. Yeah, we can also probably thank a global pandemic for a newfound appreciation of the life sciences <laughs> in terms of people now understanding how important that is in, in the scope of, of how we get through the day. So, so good 100%. stuff. Byron, we have just a few seconds left. I have to ask you, I'm taking advantage of the national uh, uh, finger you have on the pulse of what's going on. This housing affordability crisis is is obviously front and center these days. Any comment on that and what you're seeing there and where that's going? Absolutely, but it ties right to your zoning and um, variance conditions at the local level. I think we have to rethink the way we imagine our neighborhoods, our use of land, creating green space for development. Cities like Detroit have new programs where you can tear down one house and build three or four, and that zoning doesn't exist in many cities. Uh, many cities still don't allow new construction technology like modular housing and SIPs panels in many construction considerations. So in order to make housing affordable, we've got to make the zoning and approval and entitlement process easier for the developers, and people need to better understand 
how to deconstruct the NIMBY movement, not in my backyard, about development so that we can make it more inclusive and easier for things to be built. There's great technology emerging to try to address affordable housing and workforce housing. Carol mentioned earlier the conversion opportunities of existing structures into more affordable housing and workforce housing. And you're seeing a rural renewal in small towns further out from big cities, but with access to big cities where there's good infrastructure that's been underutilized that is being redeployed and then transit opportunities to try to get into those hubs uh, will, will make it easier. And so I think the big thing to look at is that the real estate industry is shouldering many of these social considerations related to affordable housing, workforce housing, imagining with our federal entities, the infrastructure needs, imagining with the philanthropic community opportunities for naming opportunities for roads and bridges and parks and things that make our cities better. And the development community is becoming a conduit for tying private investment, public investment and philanthropic investment around these social issues that require very thoughtful solutions. But the industry's up to the task. And I see many of our leaders talking about this literally every day in their business lives. I'm encouraged by it. I think um, many of our cities are already showing the results of the thoughtful leadership of bringing those constituencies together and trying to make our cities better. Hmm. Well, that's a great way to wrap this conversation. Uh, that's encouraging to hear. All right. Well, Byron, uh, gosh, before we let you go, a uh, couple of things, please. Uh, should anyone want to connect with you and uh, learn more about what you're up to and what you're thinking and, and uh, they have any questions about PwC and, frankly, the ULI, uh, where do they go to get more information? Well, sure. For people looking for involvement in the industry, Urban Land Institute is a great organization to consider joining anywhere from the student level all the way up to the investor and leader level. At PwC, we try to be a firm that's helping solve society's problems. And so we are a service provider to the business industry across audit, tax, and consulting needs. And I focus, of course, on the real estate industry where all of those come together to deliver product. And so I think if you need us, pwc.com, you can find surf, you can surf around and find any of us for the, for the needs that someone has, as well as the research that we're doing in the sectors that we serve. Byron Carlock, the U.S. real estate practice leader with PwC. Byron, so kind of you to share a few minutes of your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Carol. Good to be with you. It's good to have you with us. Appreciate uh, you joining us. All right. Well, that wraps this week's All About Real Estate Edition. On behalf of our show sponsor, New American Funding, my co-host, Carol Morgan, I am Todd Schneck. That is all the time that we have for today. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And we look forward to seeing you again right here next week. We'll see you then. Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio is sponsored by New American Funding and made possible by Denim Marketing, the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite source for real estate and home building news. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your favorite podcast app. 
And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio.